From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Hi, everyone. So by this point, everyone has heard the term sustainable finance, and most of us have heard of green bonds. But these terms seem to be used quite often, rightly or wrongly, as blanket terms for several types of sustainable finance instruments. Have you heard of green loans? Or what about social bonds used to finance social projects? Or even sustainability-linked bonds? Bonds that are not tied to projects, but to a company's sustainability goals, like a greenhouse gas emissions reduction target. Long story short, there are all kinds of types of sustainable debt instruments to choose from. This week on the show, we've got Maya Godemer and Mallory Rutigliano, sustainable finance analysts for BNF. They'll walk us through what's available and who's using what. And they'll tell us about how green bond issuance has seen a dip so far this year, but social bonds are on a tear, up 376% in the first half of 2020, up to $41.9 billion. Our discussion is based on a report titled Sustainable Finance Outlook for the Second Half of 2020. BNF users can get this report on BNF.com, the BNF mobile app, and the Bloomberg Terminal. As a reminder, BNF does not provide investment or strategy advice, and you can hear the full disclaimer at the end of the show. I'm Mark Taylor, and you're listening to Switched On, the BNF podcast. Mallory, Maya, hi. Hello, Mark. Hi, Mark. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for joining. This is awesome. Really, we've been really trying to get this podcast going for, for quite a while, and, and it's taken a few times to, to get it started. So glad we finally made it to chat. I think we've all heard about green bonds, or at least in passing, I don't know. But there seems to be a lot of flavors of those. You know, sustainable debt takes many forms. Can you kind of start us off just with the very basics and explaining what types of green debt are out there? Absolutely, Mark. And that's a great question to start off with. So there are different types of sustainable debt. We call those themes typically. And so the most well-recognized is definitely the green bond that you mentioned. It's been around for the longest amount of time, and it still makes up the majority of sustainable debt that is issued. But let me just back up first. And what what is sustainable debt to begin with? Green bonds or other varieties that we'll, we'll kind of talk about today. So sustainable debt describes different kinds of borrowing activities. So these are loans or bonds that are issued in order to promote environmental or social benefits or improvements. So for example, with a green bond, you have uh, money being raised in order to finance or refinance environmentally friendly projects or activities. So a company will issue these or a country? How, How does that work? Yes, a country, a company, you know, a, a country's government or a municipal government, entities like those. And give me a couple of examples, maybe, of just what kinds of activities, green activities they're used to fundraise for. So there's a wide gamut of what, what constitutes sort of an environmental project or environmental activity. The most widely recognized is probably renewable energy projects or renewable energy development. But it could be anything from waste reduction programs, conservation projects, green buildings and homes, 
plastics pollution reduction, a, a very wide variety of activities. And this is not set in stone. I think this is something that we've seen this year. They are making those kind of activities that you can finance thanks to a green bond or a social bond evolving over time. It's also not set in stone inter internationally. You have some uh, discrepancies between region. So that is something really interesting. It shows the flexibility of those kind of instruments. I'm sure we'll get into this, but is that a is that a problem that they're not standardized across market or or the world? Yeah, we've seen it being a problem because then it creates less transparency for investors. For a very long time, then investors were wondering what a green bond or what a social bond could finance, and they were fearing greenwashing as well. So the fact that there is no so far robust legal binding framework of what the green bond is or a social bond is will really make the make the the market less robust than it should be however we've seen we've seen lots of standardization and effort towards defining those products and those instruments and for instance um, organization like the international capital market As association or the loan market associations are really, um, they are really supporting um, those kind of instruments and, and, and bringing much more clarity and transparency to this market. This is also why we've seen it grown so much. I've been tangential to this, you know, just part of BNF, you kind of see this, you see these reports come out about uh, sustainable finance and green bonds, et cetera, for, for years. And I've always kind of had the, the sense that and there's a monumental task to standardize all this stuff and get everybody on the same page. Maya, in your heart of hearts, do you think they'll get it? Do you think they'll standardize all this stuff and making sure they're all singing from the same hymn sheet? Yeah, I hope so, at least. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, does it feel like progress is being made or do you feel like it's just more acronyms in more organizations and more, you know, would-be regulations thrown in? No, no, I think that definitely there were some efforts made. I think that we are seeing more and more standardization that are international standardization. We are seeing also a request from investors. And you know how it works. The buy side rules the world. <laughs> so, so basically, when the buy side decides that they need transparency to invest in that market, then, then it does happen. So what we're seeing as well, it was a great like analysis that Mallory made, is that right now more than 80% of all the green bonds that are issued in the world follow the International Capital Market Association standards, like standards and principle, despite those principles being only voluntary. And now all this trend that has been happening is now leading regulators to question themselves about the need of standardization. So for instance, in Europe, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about that in the future as well of, the, of this podcast, in Europe, they're currently working on and they've already published a first draft for a European green bond standard, which will help standardizing even more this market. So, no, I think there was a lot of effort being made. As long as, uh, as soon as um, more instruments are being created, more standards are coming to the market. So, for instance, this year we've seen a few standards being either uh, amended or created to be able to regulate some part of the market. 
And one thing to mention is also that there aren't only green bonds. There's also different varieties that have emerged over time. So while I mentioned that, you know, green bonds are the longest standing variety of sort of recognizable, sustainable debt, at least in its current form, there's also social bonds that Maya mentioned, and those are basically the same concept as, as a green bond, but they're focusing on social projects or activities instead of those that are environmental. You have sustainability bonds, which are like a, a, a hybrid of the two. It's for environmental and social purposes. And green loans, which are sort of like the counterpart to a green bond, but in the loan market as opposed to the bond market. And we've seen an, a different kind or a different variety of themes arising recently that aren't project focus. You asked uh, a, a really astute question earlier, like what projects, uh, Mark, uh, constitute green or environmentally friendly? But now we're seeing sort of a departure from the solely project or activity-based emphasis on the debt market. And so what I mean by that is um, there's been the arrival of two new varieties, sustainability-linked bonds and sustainability-linked loans, which are not necessarily financing or raised for a particular activity or project. They can be raised for you know, general corporate purposes. But the reason why we even give them the, the theme or the flavor sustainable debt, if they're not you know, financing any of that green or social activities in, in particular necessarily, is because they're being tied to institutional targets for environmental, social, or governance focuses. And so we're seeing this, this market broaden in its breadth and in its volumes too, but the varieties are, are getting much more inclusive and creative which is cool to see. Can you explain that though? I don't I don't think I quite understand what that means in practice. If I got a, you know, sustainability linked bond or loan, what would I do with that money? So the money can be raised for whatever purposes the issuer, so like the company or the government needs it for. What are they really deem sustainability or what? It doesn't need to be. It can be. It absolutely can be for, you know, say environmental purposes, but it doesn't have to be. It can just be for the the business functions. But what makes it sustainable, so to speak, is that what happens is you say, okay, I'm going to raise some some debt and I'm going to raise it for whatever I need it for. It doesn't have to be green. I don't have to prove that. But I'm going to link some aspect of this deal to a sustainability target. So like maybe me company, Mallory company says, okay, I have institutional targets to reduce my greenhouse gas emissions by X percent by this year. And if I don't meet a certain goal like that, then I'm going to incur maybe a penalty of some sort on that debt deal that I took out. So maybe my interest rate will go up for the remainder of the term of my loan if I don't meet that goal. Or maybe I'll get a reward. Maybe I'll get, you know, sort of a carrot instead of a stick. And if I do meet my goal within the terms of that loan or bond, I'll actually get a reduction in, say, my interest rate, and I'll be able to have that for the remainder of the term of the loan um, moving forward because I met some sort of sustainability goal that I had set for myself. So there's still sustainability baked into that debt type, but it's not focused on whatever the project is that it's being financed for. And this opens a lot of doors for issuers, you know, companies or governments or things like that, that don't necessarily have big projects that they want to undertake with, you know, green financing, say, but still want to raise some money and also further their sustainability goals. So it's very inclusive variety. 
That's really cool. Okay, I think I was really a bit slow on on the uptake there of understanding that. So it basically creates a carrot, you know, for companies that want to get a loan but achieve their sustainability goals as well. Yeah, it allows them to be a little bit creative and add some, you know, even if they're very small teeth, add some teeth to the achievement or failing to achieve of their sustainability goals. And it's a carrot or a steak. So it means it's either... Yeah, fair point. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's really important, actually. And in the bond market, we've seen much more of a, of a stick than a carrot. Just to be clear, the sustainability goal is not set by the company. It's set by the bank or the investors. Like Everyone agrees on what the company needs to achieve to get this carrot of the stick. So for instance, if you want to issue a green bond, you're seeing a lot of like very specific companies issuing a green bond so far because as Mallory explained, it's sometimes difficult to find an environmental purpose for your bond. In, let's say you're much more from brown industry or you're, I don't know, a food retailer or you're an industrial industry. It's much more complicated to, for instance, uh, raise, I don't know, two billion or even like a benchmark bond or to issue a large amount of money that will go to a green purpose. However, if you say, I'm j- I just need money, but I want to show to my investors then I, that I am in a transition path in my business, you can then say, okay, we were agreeing that I would, I was already planning to reduce my greenhouse gas emission by 40%. Let's issue a loan, like a 1 billion loan for the purpose that I want. And let's say that if in two years I reduce my greenhouse gas emission, not by 40%, but by 60%, then I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna reduce the margin I'm gonna pay on my loan by 25 basis points. However, if I don't hit that target or I increase the number of greenhouse gas emissions that I'm emitting, then I'm going to increase my, the margin I'm paying on my loan. The only issue we've been seeing so far is that on the loan side, it works pretty well because it's a private part of the market. So issuers are just discussing with their banks to get this kind of, uh, of security. However, on the bond market, it might be a bit difficult to sell it to wider investors because investors are happy to get the coupon of the bond to increase if issuers are not respecting their commitments. However, they're not really happy to give less, to get less coupon if they are having virtuous behaviors. So this is also why we've seen much more sustainability linked loan than sustainability linked bond. The pricing as well, it almost becomes a structured product. This is also what is super exciting with this market, with the sustainable debt market, is that you can go from very vanilla product to much more innovative product. That's fascinating. Can you talk about the market for this so far? Like, are these being used? And if so, by whom? How big is the market and how, who's using it? Yeah, so the, the market has grown for sustainability-linked loans, at least, to be quite large. Uh, now there are um, you know, hundreds of sustainability-linked loans out there. There is still only a very small handful, handful of sustainability-linked bonds. They are newer. And like Maya was saying, there are some caveats that make them a little more difficult. But sustainability-linked lo- loans have caught on really quickly. And we're seeing them being issued, so the money being borrowed, by uh, a very diverse group of issuers, 
because they are able to, like we said, you know, be from any industry or any sector and sort of set a target. I'm sure in any sector, or any company model, there is a sustainability target that you can set to improve yourself for environmental or social or governance purposes. And so that really, in my eyes, is unlimited, the ability to set those targets and, you know, do what you need to do. Whereas, you know, the projects are more difficult in the more typical markets for, you know, green bonds and social bonds and sustainability bonds and green loans, uh, we see that governments and, you know, sovereigns and supranationals are big issuers, along with entities like utilities, because it's more accessible to undertake those big projects, especially in things like, you know, say, renewable energy. Whereas we're seeing companies in even things like hospitality, uh, technology, food and beverage, communications, getting involved, I think, more quickly in the sustainability linked loan market. Although I will say that, you know, green bonds still make up the largest proportion of the sustainable debt market. So it's not volume for volume. Sustainability linked loans are still smaller, but they've caught on so quickly and a wide variety of borrowers are are starting to dip their toes in and, and get involved because there are fewer barriers to entry for a wide variety of company types. Yeah, it looks like the first one was issued four years ago or so. Yeah, in 2017, the first sustainability-linked loan was issued. Do you think that that trend will reverse? Do you think at some point sustainability-linked loans will outweigh uh, green bonds? <laughs> you're you're hitting a very, de- like, it's a debate in the team. This year, we've seen the standardization around sustainability-linked bonds, right? We've seen the International Capital Market Association putting out their framework of what we consider in the market to be a sustainability-linked bond and which criteria you need to fit to to be um, eligible to be in a, a sustainability-linked bond. And I was saying to Mallory when it was issued, oh, that's great, because it's also a great transition tool, right, Mark? It's if Even if you're a heavy emitter, even if you're from a brown industry, you can still prove your commitments to, to sustainability via those instruments. And so I was saying to Mallory that I think that sustainability-linked bond and sustainability-linked loan will outtake the market and that we are going to see more and more on those because investors in general around sustainability are requesting much more transparency. So then you just don't have a green bond that is issued and then after you don't necessarily know what it has been financing, you just have the certification at the beginning. But I think that those instruments will be uh, will be the, the future of the market. However, the disagreement is around the future of sustainability link bond. Because right now, even if there is this whole excitement from issuers and from investors for a sustainability link bond, well, we haven't seen so many. <laughs> and we know that the market struggles to price them and that it's very difficult to structure. There is the debate with Mallory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And to be clear, sustainability linked loans, I think. Maya, you can feel free to disagree with me on this, but I think we both think that those are going to absolutely continue to grow. But the biggest question mark is around those those newer sustainability-linked bonds. Because, yeah, like Maya said, my skepticism is that they've been around now since 2019, and we haven't seen them uptaken with the same, I guess, zeal as sustainability-linked loans were in the beginning. But that could also be because there's, you know, a larger training period or, you know, a 
teething time that needs to happen. I mean, that is last year. That's not that long ago, right? It's true. Yeah, that isn't that long ago. But if you compare it to the 2017 to 2018 change in sustainability linked loans, it's not keeping up with what you would expect if you were just to take a look at sustainability linked loans and say they should act identically. But they can't because it's a very different market, like Maya was detailing so well. So the only question will be over time, as people figure out now that there are principles and guidelines, uh, how to do this, will they catch on because they're popular or will they not be? And that's sort of where we find ourselves talking every day. Because it's not the same lenders as well. For a sustainability link loan, usually what happened for those of you who listen with a bit more technicality is that usually they are revolver loans. So these are loans where big corporations or corporations are going to their bank and just discussing with the bank if they can give lend them money through a loan. And then the bank is like, there is a bit of loyalty relationship between the bank and the, the issuer. The bank is saying, okay, we really want to support you as a corporation towards your transition. So we're going to give you this carrot and this stick, right? And you just have this bank to agree. If you start going in the bond market, it's a public market. You need to do a roadshow to explain to maybe hundreds of issuers, hundreds of investors, sorry, why an issuer might not pay the coupon it's said to be paid in the bond agreement. And it starts becoming a step-down coupon. And that becomes a much more complicated type of instrument that you need to push to a wider number of investors. What we're thinking, however, what we agree with Mallory is that maybe in the bond market, we'll just have the stick and not the carrot. And this is what NL did in the past to say, okay, we're issuing this bond. In two years, you'll assess us. If we don't hit the target that we're saying at the issuance of the bond, it was, I think, a greenhouse gas reduction target. If we don't hit our greenhouse gas reduction target, then we're going to pay more coupon. That's great for investors. It's, I think it could be the right structure. So it only goes up one way. It only goes one way. Yeah, exactly. How are these targets verified? You know, because each one of these loans or bonds has a sustainability link target as well. How are they verified, like reduction in greenhouse gases? Normally, they have certifiers. The same way you will have credit analysts or credit ratings, you'll have certifiers that will assess that the company has verified the bond, the fact that NL or the issuer has met their target. It's really a good question, however, Mark, because the question is asked in the sustainability linked bond market and in the sustainability linked loan market to make sure that, because you could even think about the wildest hypothesis about creating credit default swap, but for sustainability, like getting, I don't know, a structured product that, that covers you and that you can hedge with if the company starts betting on the fact that the company is not going to hit its target. So we've never seen a situation where we don't know if the company has hit the target or not. But there is the same question on the green bond side. I remember when I was still covering different banks, they were asking me, okay, can you have a past issuance? There is reporting of the allocation of your fund, making sure that the company is issuing a green bond, but after reporting on what the company has used the proceeds for. And clients, and this is again, because we don't have a legal framework, because it's not like, 
compulsory to be audited on your green bond, it's that the free will of the issuer to then provide uh, green bond reporting, like allocation reporting. So therefore, people were asking us and investors are still asking us, can we please check if the bond were actually allocated for the right purposes? I mean, it seems like only so long a market can survive on good faith, right? Exactly. So you're seeing a lot of third-party certifier that are certifying the green bond frameworks. So we're still pre-issuance and at issuance certifying the green bond. And then you have the uh, allocation report. This can also be audited. So some firms are doing it, for instance, for their social bond, Danone are reporting on what they've been using uh, the money for. Sometimes it's still quite vague and hazy. But in the case of, of Danon, you even have like the metrics of, I don't know, how many jobs they've created, how many people they've covered with the mutual, uh, with the health insurance and stuff like that. But it's still quite hazy. However, good thing the European Union is starting to legislate on this. And with the European Green Bond Standard, we're still waiting for the European Commission to come back on that. Only the draft has been issued so far. But it seems in the draft that under the European Green Bond Standard, you will have a compulsory impact reporting and you have compulsory auditing of your bond and certification of your bond. So that's great news. Excellent segue, Maya. It, it seems, maybe it's because I sit in London, I don't know, um, but it seems like the EU is leading on all of this. Is that true, for one? And, and second, you know, we, we did an episode a few weeks back about the EU, what, green stimulus uh, coming out. Will this be baked into that package, you know, getting this, these standards all, all set, or is that completely separate? So that's, a green, that's a great question. I was about to say, that's a green question. No, that's a great question. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite well known in the team to love regulation. <laughs> and like, I love regulation because I think that they are the bedrock of a healthy growth in any market. And, and indeed, the European Union... In terms of volume, in terms of sustainable debt issued, the European Union is leading in almost every subcategory of sustainable debt. It's been really the heaven of sustainable debt so far. And so there was the need for legislators to come into place. So in 2018, the European Commission set up a European action plan for sustainable finance. Within this action plan, you had different pillars. And the first one was to create a green taxonomy, so a European taxonomy for sustainable activities, green activities in particular. They've just set up what it means in Europe to be green, basically. That is the first part of the standardization. And Europe is really leading the way because after that, they're able to create green bond standard. They're able to, they're already having the pipeline, some compulsory disclosure for corporations, for asset managers, insurers, benchmark. It's massive what's happening. And the more discussions we're having with Mallory around the globe, so with our clients in Asia, our clients in the US, and I think Mallory can talk about that as well. I was on a call with a Canadian clients uh, about a week ago, and they were all saying, we're waiting for the European Union to lead the way and so that we can legislate in the future. I mean, the US is still, the Democrats are still preaching for an American new green deal. And I think they, they will try to use those legislation that are happening in Europe. So I think it's quite, we're quite positive 
and it, it's a great advancement for the market. Yeah, once there, as Maya is saying, once there's the precedent for it, it'll be so much, you know, maybe easier or palatable for for other uh, regions to get involved. And it's not only just that another region is doing it; it's that it's it's Europe, which is really the leader in this space to begin with. You know, they if we're talking about sustainable debt financing, they make up the largest proportion in terms of regions. If you're looking at Asia and the Pacific or the Americas, by how much roughly? In this year, green bond represent. EMEA represents 53% of all green bonds issued in the region. It was 45% last year. And it's always been the, uh, I mean, uh, unless 2016, where APAC was leading, because China has been issuing a lot of green bonds as well. But for the past four years, EMEA has been leading. They, you know, are typically very focused on this area. And so, you know, not only having a precedent, but having a leader from the area that seems to know a lot about this this sphere is also you know a good sign and something people can look toward as a as a beacon when they're trying to raise money or finance for good we need to say as well that to be fair the central bank the european central bank the, the regulators in general in europe are really behind it i mean since christine lagarde has been taking the the lead of the european central bank she's been saying as much as she can that she really wants to use the European taxonomy and she really wants to promote the European uh, sustainable finance market. She's been like saying here and there that she's thinking about doing a green quantitative easing, a green quantitative, uh, so a green asset repurchase, meaning maybe something to, to promote and incentivize the asset repurchase of green bond, which would potentially promote the issuance of green bond in the region. And I mean, even in, in, in the UK, we've seen the UK government also leading the way. The Bank of England with Mark Carney was one of the first legislators that stated, for instance, last year, that all uh, bank and insurers that are regulated by the Prudential Regulation Authority, so under the UK authority, will have to disclose climate risk stress testing and their climate risk strategy to the Bank of England. So we are seeing that in, in Europe, there, there is a lot of happening. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. For everybody listening, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've learned a ton during this time here with with Mallory and Maya. But I think it'd, it'd be good to close with what's next. So, Mallory, I mean, we didn't talk about COVID. We didn't talk about the impact of the overall size of the market this year. But what do you see, you know, for the rest of 2020 and outward and beyond? Definitely, we have to talk about the disruption that's been going on. And that has, you know, maybe touched the sustainable debt market a bit, but nothing has been decimated in any respect. We've seen steady issuance happening in the first half of 2020. And in some cases, you know, some things have faltered, but nothing incredibly notable in context of looking at the other side of the coin. 
The other side is what has actually done well during this time. And that has been outweighing those you know, things that have been performing average or a little under average when we're talking about compared to this time, you know, say last year. And the primary thing that you know, I think is worth discussing is social bonds. So those are those bonds that are raised in order to finance or refinance social activities, usually toward a target population. So that could be something like the unemployed people of diverse backgrounds who may have less opportunities in certain spaces, children, the elderly, you know, any number of target groups that need special consideration in terms of social projects. And we've seen about a a 376% increase year on year in social bond issuance since uh, this time, basically the first half of 2019 compared with the first half of 2020. And, you know, if we really think about that, it makes a lot of sense because right now there's a focus on overarching, in many ways, global social issues like healthcare education, people's rights, and different types of target groups that need particular care, like the elderly or children who need to get schooling you know, when there's less opportunities, or people who are losing their jobs. The unemployed can also uh, constitute one of those you know, social areas and target populations. So we've seen this massive increase and, you know, we don't necessarily think that that's going to stop. You know, maybe once we move into recovery that all of a sudden, you know, we'll see a stagnation because in some ways these things have lasting effects. I'm not necessarily saying it'll grow, you know, 400% each year from now on that, you know, is probably untenable. But if you just think about the focus and the shifts of people's mindsets, it's not necessarily that people are thinking less about green, but they may be thinking more about the intersection between green and social and how overall sustainability in ESNG, which means environmental, social and governance, interplay with one another and play a part in their decision making. And I think that's a great thing. I think, you know, you need to take into account the environmental and the social sides. And so seeing that people are shifting focus or adding focus rather to social financing is a boon. It's true for so long. All we ever heard, used to hear about is the E, right? And now hearing more about the, the S in ESG is, is fantastic. Exactly. We don't think that's going to just wipe away as, you know, as recovery and, and healthcare sort of move back to normal. Maya, how about you? What's coming? I think the same. So, I mean, I've been covering the social bond surge this year, and I, I'm thinking the same. I think that the E, we had to prove to investors coming from the sustainability angle of the market, we had to prove to investor the E had financial materiality and they needed to care about the environmental performance of, of companies and countries as well. And I think part of the job is done now. Because we're seeing regulators taking the lead in there, because we're seeing seeing compulsory climate risk stress testing, we're seeing much more disclosure. So that is happening. That is being part. And the sustainable debt market is part of a bigger trend, a trend that is promoting this part of, uh, of the market, promoting sustainability to be taken into account in the investment process. The S is still, it was still quite difficult. You know, like we moved in the sustainable finance market from just, you know, you need to do it because it's better to be good, right? It's it's better to be virtuous and you need to be appealing to the younger generations and you're bearing reputational risk to it's a financial, like in your financial remit, you need to take it into account. And we're now facing this question in the social part 
uh, of sustainable finance. And I think that COVID and the pandemic that we have seen, but we're still seeing because a lot of people are still working from home. Like we can, we can, like we can attest because we're still working from home as well during this podcast. And we're seeing that the company that have been the most resilient during this crisis, that was a real life stress testing, were the one that invested in their social performance. And to invest in your social performance, you need to issue debt to do so. So what we're thinking is that the social debt market, thanks to also more standardization, will be able to grow stronger in the future. And you remember, Mark, when we were talking about frameworks at the beginning of this podcast and saying that it's not set in stone. Well, the International Capital Market Association came up with a new framework and new principle for the social bonds as well during the crisis to make sure that we don't have social washing because there was such a surge and also everyone was trying to raise debt that we needed to be clear about that. That's really good to hear. You really don't want... You really don't want things to start off on kind of the wrong foot, especially in that domain. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. So I think that also, and also the, the as Mallory explained, we have a more diversified pool of issuer for social bonds. So it's showing wider number of issuers that they can actually use those tools to 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 raise that. Thank you so much for both of you for coming in and joining on the, the pod today. I think we should get back together towards the end of the year and talk about how it's gone with social bonds uh, and social debt and see how it's picked up over the year. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting us. We are really looking for it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Mark. And we'd, we'd love to come back on anytime. So thanks for having us. Today's episode of Switched On was edited by Rex Warner of Greystoke Media. Bloomberg NEF is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. This recording does not constitute, nor should it be construed as, investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg NEF should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording and any liability as a result of this recording is expressly disclaimed. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.